Hey, I'm Monse, and this is Musings of the Artist, a podcast where I have meaningful conversations with all kinds of artists. Fernando A. Flores is a writer based in Austin, Texas. His books include the collection Death to the Bullshit Artists of South Texas, the novel Tears of the Truffle Pig, and his upcoming book is Valiesque. In this episode, Fernando and I talk all about the ups and downs of the creative life. Well, I'm so excited for this conversation. You know, I mentioned to you, so um, just to give people listening in a little bit of a background of how how we have met. Um, You are a faculty member at the Vermont College of Fine Arts, which is where where I'm a student. And... um, and you and I just, I guess, met you a couple weeks ago now. Um, and we had this residency. And um, whenever you spoke to um, students, like, you know, whether it was a reading or a presentation, we were all so in awe of you and just, you know, um, entranced and sort of um, uh excited about hearing you speak and your story. And I thought, oh, I need to speak with him in my podcast. So that's how this came about. <laughs> and I thank you for, for saying, yes, I'm excited to chat. Um, yeah. So let me, so the first place I, I usually like to begin with these interviews is um, because, you know, we're, these, this is a podcast where I speak with creatives of all kinds and, and especially writers and photographers and musicians is kind of like um, a, a lot of the people I speak with are in those camps. Um, but we are always, we're talking about, about your cre- the creative life, but where I like to begin is sort of in this other space of asking you first um, how you would start to define yourself or talk about yourself and who you are beyond that title, that creative title. So you know you're a writer, and I know you have a lot of other creative interests as well. Um, but how would you start to describe yourself beyond what you do? I don't know. I think I have a hard time with any with actual terms. I think you know maybe it's because uh, maybe it's from like being an immigrant or something. And you know, I always or so, I always feel not like an outsider, even like in the communities that I, I guess I belong. So like calling myself like yeah. oh I'm a writer or like oh I'm a photographer or whatever. I never I was never really comfortable. I liked the idea of uh, you know pretending not you know, giving the appearance that I was something I'm not. Like walking, like, I would always carry my camera everywhere I went here in Austin, Texas, where I live. And people for the longest time thought of me as a photographer. And uh, so I think that when my first books came out, uh, a lot of people were kind of surprised that I was a writer at all. People really just saw me as like a photographer, you know? So I never really talked about my, my writing and my creative life. So but thinking about all those things, you know, you know, to me, they're just like, they're just the same things. They're just part of the same performance, part of the same thing. You know, we call things, you know, writing is one thing, of course. Yeah. And photography is one thing. And, you know, but, uh, you know, they, I guess they exercise, they exercise different parts of the mind that are related, you know, of the, mm-hmm. I guess what we call like the creative process or I don't know, you know. So, so I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I I take, you know, I take, you know, I, I take the 
I take my time and I do the most I can with my time in the sense that, you know, you know, when you, for instance, let's say you're walking to work and you have a camera and on your way to work, you take a picture or something, you know, eventually, and that happens, eventually you have a whole roll of, of, you know, images of camera, like a whole roll of film, you know, that you expose, you know, and, you know, does that make you a photographer? I don't know. <laughs> But that's how I live my life the last 16 years or so, 17 years now, 18 years now, you know? So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if I uh, answered your question properly. Yeah, no, 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 of course. There's no proper answer, really. I just, I, I love to start there to sort of, you know, hear how you, how yeah. you, you know. And you know I, oh, go ahead, yeah. please. No, no, it's just, it's just hard for me. You know, it's just hard to say, oh, you know, hi, I, I would never... I, you know, I can't think of a situation where I would say, oh, yeah, I'm a writer or whatever. Right, right. I guess I'd have to really say it, I guess. You know, I've written books that have been published, you know. Like the other day, somebody, you know, you know, when somebody reads a book that I've written and they tell me about it, and I don't know who the person is, or even if I know who they are, I'm kind of surprised. I forget that there's books out there that anyone can just read, you know. <laughs> yeah. That one has written, you know, I'm always in my own, like, world thinking of, other things, you know, and, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm always brought back to like, oh, yeah, I have books out there that anybody can just, anybody can just read. And yeah, you know, and that's interesting to me. I don't know, I guess, because it's just happened in the last few years of my life that I, uh, right. that it's like a new thing, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm, you know, I'm gonna be 40 years old here in like six months. And I'm so I'm like, so I, I, a lot of people like these days, you know, publish their first novel like in their twenties, you know, and or their first book in their twenties. I guess because that's how, that's how the culture is now. Yeah. You know? But, but uh, you know, but there is no blank. There is no one way to do anything, you know. So that's the fun and that's the interesting thing about art. There's no one blank that's way right. to become an artist, you know. Absolutely, and you just said something that made me think to ask you this question that has been sort of swirling in my mind. Is um because you and I we talked about this before, the are almost the exact same age. We're both turning forty this year, and I was thinking about this because I too I sort of feel this like, un I I don't know I I feel this underlying pressure. I feel like the outside world is always saying like you know to just um, publish and to you know kind of show for all the the work that you're making and all that and and that gives me a lot of anxiety actually <laughs> i i just i sort of um just want to be in my little world making my things and not and and you know and and release it to the world when it feels ready but yeah. I, all these outside messages are like no you must if you're you know you're you're going to be 40 this year you must show show what you're you know working on and um I think that's also just sort of like I'm, I'm letting those voices win a little bit, but yeah. I was just thinking I have a, fr a good friend who's um, publishing a book. Um, she's already she's already a published author, but she's publishing an, um, another book. Uh, actually, I think tomorrow is her release day, and it's you know got a lot of buzz. And she's really young; she's like in her um, mid twenties. And I was reading, you know, she wrote this beautiful newsletter about. Um, just recently about how much she struggled to get to this result where she's getting all these accolades and success for this book, but it took many years for her, you know, and an, uh, a whole other novel she had to sort of throw away to get to this. Um, and I thought like, you know, I, I just wonder if that experience feels different when you're 25 versus 40 and older, where we're having this pressure of like having to produce now where like, you kind of feel like 
I don't have all these years to just play. And I, I, I'm just, again, just sort of, I don't even know if I'm making any sense, but it's just, I, I, I feel like I'm letting these outside voices um, seep into my brain and like, you know, does that make any sense yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I know. I get it. I get it. Yeah. You know, I think about it often, like when I was that age and I was in my mid twenties, I, you know, I, well, I guess, you know, my first book came out in 2018, which is a collection of stories, but really it was my first, it was really like my third or fourth finished manuscript, really like in my, in my mid twenties, I wrote like a couple of manuscripts that are just, I never did anything with, I, after I turned 30, I was like, you know, why am I going to, you know, what what is this? What am I doing with my life? Am I just going to edit these old things or what, you know, instead of doing that, I always just move forward, you know? And right. I often wonder, you know, what would have happened if I would have tried to get those stories published. I'd be a completely different writer than I am mm-hmm. now, you know, because my writing just completely changed in that amount of time, you know. So I wonder, you know, I want, you know, sometimes I think, you know, if you're publishing at that age, I, you know, I'm very, I don't think it's ever easy. It's ever super easy. It's always hard, no matter what age you are, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I admire anybody who can publish, you know, a novel or a book or at any age, you know? Yeah, no, totally. But what you said was really interesting, you know, that sort of like if you had sort of pushed to publish something or to, you know, continue working on something that was uh, a different, a different point in, in your, who you were and your life, then that could sort of change the direction of where you're going. And there's something to be said, right. For just sort of like letting this brew, yeah, just, I'm not the kind of like I'm not kind of you know I'm not a genius. I did, I'm not. I don't you know, know about I, that. I wasn't born. <laughs> I wasn't born like you know. I'm not like Rimbaud. I wasn't born like a super gift. You know, <laughs> I had to really, I had to really work really hard and really uh, keep writing stories and really and moving forward in this and not you know seeing learning what I did with each story, finishing stories, and you know, seeing whether or not it was worth it to submit it along the line. And yeah, yeah. once, once, a, you know, and just keep writing stories eventually. But I, I see what you're saying because, you know, at that age, I think about it and I'm like, I never thought in the sense of projects. I always thought in the sense of finishing a story, you know? So yeah. I, yes. never, I was never like, oh, I'm going to have a manuscript, you know, or like, oh, I'm going to, you know, eventually that idea came to me. I was like, but the, I had no idea how the publishing industry worked too. Like if I, when I looked around myself, around myself, like when I was like, let's say 20, 20 years ago in 2001, 2002, and I saw a literary landscape of who was being published. That was like a border writer or a writer that was like me with a background kind of like me, you know, they were all being published by like little university presses, like university of New Mexico. Like uh-huh. I rarely saw anybody who, published like with a big press you know right that, right that didn't really that idea didn't really come to me till like around the time I turned 30 like 10 years ago really I didn't start thinking about the publishing industry or anything and it's hard to really learn that nobody really unless you really teach yourself yep nobody teach no you it's impossible to, to know you know no totally totally and I think there's something actually really wonderful to be in that space when you don't know yet fantastic. and I look yeah. back on it and I was like you know I'm really grateful that I was very ignorant of everything because I was just able to focus on my own work you know I wrote everything on a typewriter you know so there's something there was something in the process looking back on it of having all my pages and I'm like 
how my story is just scattered around because I was able to see my mistakes on the page themselves. Yeah, yeah. and I remember you saying, I think um, you were talking at, at, during residency about, if I'm not mistaken, you wrote a story and you didn't even really think much about it, but then a roommate said that they really loved it. And then you're like, oh, I should, in my memory. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I had like, <clears throat> I had one page of a story and I just wrote it a lot of times, like around then, or maybe even now it's too. I, I start writing a story because I think something is funny, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah. what would be funny if this happened? So <clears throat> I started writing a story with that idea in mind and, uh, I just left it there because I, you know, my roommate, yeah, my roommate read the beginning of it and, uh, and I saw it at the time and I didn't see him and then he moved out and then life happened and I didn't see him again, like two or three years later in the middle of the street too. We were walking together. We just happened to run into each other. He's like, Hey, what happened to that story that you wrote? He just asked me and, and it was just in his mind this whole time. He, I mean, apparently he'd always been thinking about it. So, what? uh, so, and, you know, now it's going to be in my, you know, forthcoming collection yes. this year in a few months. So it's funny. That's so cool. Yeah. And I trust, and those are the reactions that I trust. You know, I trust, yes. Yes. I trust those kinds of little things in people when they see things. I'm like, even when somebody says, you know, when somebody reads something and somebody who I trust, I almost never let anybody read any of my manuscripts before they got, you get published, but there's one or two people that I do sometimes. And uh, when they tell me, when they have a feeling like my agent, for instance, my agent told me there's something in this story that is strange and she doesn't know, really know what it is. I trust that, you know, and I'll, and I'll, I'll try and find what it is that she was talking about and understand it and try to do something about it, you know? Definitely. So, and, and, and I think that's, that's, there's a distinction too, with like letting people that um, know, kind of know you or, or, you know, that feel safe rather, you know, that, that you can just show something to um, versus, you know, just like asking a bunch of strangers to read something. And it's interesting like what you were saying about how, you know, your roommate just so, sort of saw something in this that you hadn't picked up on. Um, yeah. Because I was just thinking when you were, when you had talked about that, um, a, kind of a similar example um, in my own life recently, I was in a photography workshop and I had um, done this assignment and I had taken these photos or um, of a specific thing, you know, of a metaphor or something. And yeah. there, I almost just threw away, put this photo in the trash because I was like, eh, it's not that great. But I showed it because I was like part of my assignment and yeah. everyone in the class was like, oh my gosh, that photo is like the best photo <laughs> you've taken. And this whole like, reaction, oh, right? Wow. And I was like, Oh my gosh. See, like I, in my mind, I was like, this is like, this is terrible. Like this isn't yeah. even a good photo, but they yeah. all thought it was like the best photo I've ever taken. And I yeah. was like, yeah, oh, you know, that's okay. yeah, that's what I love about photography too. That sometimes yeah. a lot of times like a, a photograph that is exposed like weirdly or that yes, you're, yes. you're not happy with it. And that on a technical level, exactly. like hits you, hits a, a viewer, like a person on a visceral level, you know? So yeah. And it works, you know. So that's what's interesting about photography for me, to me too, you know. Totally. And that, that doesn't really quite work with with you know with writing. I don't think with writing is perhaps a little bit different. Wouldn't you say so? What, what yeah. Would you yes, I think you're right because there are those sort of happy accidents that happen in photography too. Like where yeah. in this photo there was like a blur that wasn't intentional, really. But it, yeah. but it was like it added something to it, I think, that yeah. people really responded to. And yeah, definitely. Yeah, when you're doing that in writing, 
writing has to be a little bit more intentional. You know, yeah. I think. Yeah. But, you know, but you know what? But but if you but also what you can take from that is like you can learn from the happy accidents and put it into your writing. Like yeah. sometimes when you're writing, uh, I like for instance, I recently uh, I've been rereading like interviews with like the the Argentine writer uh, Cesar Aira and Cesar Aira he's talking about his writing technique and he only writes, he writes every day, but he only writes like a paragraph every day, you know, and after like three months, he has like a little book, you know, oh, yeah. he, has so many books. he has like a hundred little books that he's published. They're each like a hundred pages long, you know? Oh, wow. But, oh, that, that sounds amazing. <laughs> but he's, yeah. And, and they're all incredible and they're all very different, but he's talking about his writing process and he's saying that if he's like at a cafe or something, he's writing and somebody walks in wearing a big bird suit. Yeah. You know, he'll put that in his book. He'll like we put oh. in that somebody walked in with it in a big bird suit, you know. And uh, I've learned more and more to do that with my own writing. You know, I did that with my novel. And in my when I was writing my first novel, I was writing the beginning pages of it. And, uh, and I hear a commotion, like, outside my house. And apparently, at that time, there was chickens living here, and a chicken had escaped. Uh-oh. Well, I had to go outside and I had to grab a chicken. You know, I never grabbed a chicken since yes. like I was, since I was like a five years old, maybe when I grabbed a chicken. So uh I had to like grab like a rack really fast and grab the chicken as soon as I was told to do it. And I grabbed it and I put it in here and I came back and I started writing and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna put chickens <laughs> in the scene. Amazing. You, you know? That's what's so, so exciting to me about writing. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's like all these little things that happen to you in your world. It's like, oh, that can go in a story. You know, yeah. whether you're writing fiction, nonfiction, or poetry, it doesn't matter. It can all yeah. be recycled, you know? Yeah, it's all part of, I think, I like. it's like almost like, you know, I like to approach approach it in a lot of ways, at least in the first draft, and like in a collage kind of manner. Like, and like yeah. You know, and so I always, so in my story, sometimes there's like different media. There's like, <clears throat> there's music, there's, there's TV, there's uh, movies, there's uh, snippets of all kinds of little things here and there that I try to just put here and there, sprinkle here and there, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's important to remember that, you know, all these things in life, you know, also like belong like, in re in literature, sometimes you read like literature, and you know it's almost like these other things don't exist in life. You know, you know, you read like you read like an eight hundred page book where they don't mention you know, and like I don't know, like pop culture or something. Right. You know? And you're like, and they're just humorless, and you're like, wow, there's no humor, and there's no, you know, there's none of the beauty that exists in actual life. It's just this thing. Right. Right. It's, it's just manipulated perspective, you know. So, I in order to, for me to not, I guess, feel that I'm using a manipulated perspective as a writer, you know, I try to uh, infuse it with as many of these, you know, things that come into almost like collaging, you know, like that, like what I said about the chickens or whatever. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think that's what makes your work so uh, rich and exciting. And I remember you also saying. Um, that you you know you make up words in Spanish and English and and you know put them in your books and I love that because I think we can get as writers um, you know we can get so serious and about making sure everything's so perfect and and uh, and you know 
whatever right or whatever I don't know what even that that even means that word but you know that it fits some sort of mold but I love that you're sort of promoting this idea of playing and writing because that's what it should be you know it should be fun and you know, um, and I'm, yeah. you know and I'm yeah thank you and I'm you know I'm all about you know. I'm all about, you know, making it as, as you know, as exciting as possible. It's exciting to me, you know. I, you know, literature to me is like an, it's an exciting thing. And, you know, there's different. I don't think that every every story, you know, every story is a different, is its own thing. It's an invitation. Every story is an invitation to do something different, really. Every short story is an, invita- an invitation to approach it in a, in a unique way and to treat your story in a, unique manner and to give it the respect and attention that it deserves. And also it's important also, I think to be okay with failure, you know, be okay with like trying something crazy and being okay to fail. Almost like when you're on a skateboard and trying to learn a trick and you got to be, not be afraid to fall on your face and stuff like that, you know, until you get the trick, you know, and you're like, okay, like, like, like for instance, let's say you want to try writing a story that starts in the first person and the last paragraph will be in the third person or vice versa. You'll tell a whole story that is in the third person. And then in the last paragraph, you will reveal in the first person that there was actually like an omniscient, like a detached narrator in there, yeah. you know? So, and you can try that. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. You can be like, okay, that's, I, 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 I try to do something interesting that I never tried with narrative here before. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think... So- Oh, please. Sorry. Go no, ahead. no, that's it. That's it. That's it. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no. I was just going to say that I, I feel like what's really exciting to me, and I think I didn't really um, learn this until I started the MFA program, or maybe like a little bit before when I was in workshops and stuff, but I was always sort of, I, I wasn't, I feel like there's a whole other world of literature that is not necessarily in the mainstream, so we don't know about it, but there's so many different ways to play with words and, and form and and now that's pretty much like almost exclusively what I'm interested in is, you know, like writing segmented pieces and, and um, flash, sorry, the phone's ringing. Um, and, and um, you, you know, uh, mixing photographs and, and words and all these different things we can do and like hermit crab essays and, you know, all this stuff. Um, to me, that's the most exciting stuff. And I get as a writer, you know, at least, but then also as a reader, I love reading, you know, the different ways that we can get creative with that stuff. And um and yeah. I just think it's 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 more, I feel like there's this, I was talking to Sue, my advisor last semester, about an idea I had for a book. And I was like, you know, presenting the idea to her. And she said, you know, like 20 years ago, I would have told you no, like, like, that's not going to go, you know, it's not going to work. But now, absolutely. Because yeah. this idea I had was like, just a hybrid kind of memoir. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. So, you know, yeah. it's, I, I like that we have these doors open now that we didn't have in the past. Yeah, definitely. Like I remember, like in two thousand four and two thousand five, in the mainstream uh, conversations that I heard around, you know, that I read about, where like people like writing in the first person and to write about yourself was really frowned upon. Yep. You know, now it's all the rage. Now everybody's writing about themselves and the first person and, oh, and yeah. you know, like auto fiction kind of stuff. That's all the rage now. So. You know, trend by, you know, trends in literature, you know, come and go. So, you know, something that, yeah, something that that's, you know, wouldn't, like you say, like, like with your story, that wouldn't have been adequate, like impossible to publish, like in 1999 or 2001. Now there's all these, you know, different uh, 
different you know literary palettes out there for people who like these kinds of things of, of work you know absolutely and i think also you know um one thing that i think it's exciting that i think you sort of just um from what i i know about you it just doesn't seem like you really pay too much attention to like what is the mainstream and what like you you follow what you excites you what you're passionate about and I, I think that's there's like a good lesson in that because I, it's easy I think to get you you know to want to um, sort of appease or, or, or you know please people and um, and say okay like you know if I want to have any success in this I need to go by this path um, yeah. you know but I think it's it's such a great model to just not to not do that to just you know follow the thing that excites you and that's the only i don't know for me personally i think it's the only thing worth making is like something that like it really it, it's you. you you know it's not oh, like well, thank you you know i, I think i credit it to like my stubborn punk rock kind of nature <laughs> to uh you know and it also comes i gotta say i gotta say it comes from like from like years and years of failure you know yeah. to be and to be honest like there came a point in my life like when i was like 30 31 and 2000 uh, 2011 and 2012 when i was like you know i don't care around that time like be between the years like 2007 and 2011 I really tried to submit my stories everywhere. Everywhere I tried my submitted my stories everywhere I got rejected from everywhere. Wow. And eventually eventually the rejections kind of like getting rejected kind of changed for me. Eventually it started feeling good to get rejected. You know, after years and years of rejection, it started to feel good. And I started to kind of celebrate the rejection. You know, I started and I started kind of uh making fun of things because I guess in the sense of you know, I sometimes I'd have really like crazy like stories that I knew would be rejected, and yeah. and I'd write and I submit them just so they can be rejected too, and or I do something, you know, uh, that I knew would be the re rejected. So eventually, you know, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna write the most unpublishable shit that I can uh -huh. write because, and th that's how my first. Uh, book death of the bullshit artist of south texas came about you know when it came time to when i talked to like the small press host publications who ended up putting out the final version of the book you know the only stipulation i have you know i was like you know it's got to be called death to the bullshit artist of south texas you know yeah because that was my intention that was i thought that was really funny i was like wow i thought it was great i felt that i was writing something that was really unpublishable uh -huh. but i felt and i thought and I was having a great time doing it. And I had this idea in my head, like in some kind of like, I don't know, morbid kind of maybe like, uh, maybe like crazy, like maniacal kind of idea that I'd be like, okay, well, if I die one day, they'll, they'll find all these crazy. <laughs> and even that will be worth something one day, you know, yeah. I guess. And these, just this idea I thought was hilarious to me. It was just so funny to me, you know? So uh, at the time, like I said, I was kind of like unhinged maybe at the time, you know, just working, working in like a coffee shop and like coming home and, I you love know, that. And just working on my stories and reading, you know, that's how I lived my life. And yeah. I thought it was really funny. I thought it was hilarious. I'm like, so I was like, and mostly what I thought was funny because I knew like in the back of my mind that one day somebody will publish it. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. And all yeah. these things would be, you know, if you, if 15 years ago, if you would have told me that my first book would come out when I was 38, I wouldn't have believed you, you know, oh. I, I just wouldn't have believed you, I, I, you know, because I was so sure that at any moment, like the Pulitzer committee was going to come knocking on my door or something, you know, right, right. Like, or like the people from Norton or Penguin were going to come to my door and be like, oh, we, we know you've been writing here, son, or something. <laughs> You want to put your books out, you know? So, uh, you know, these stupid little fantasies are what kept me going as like a writer back yeah, then. Yeah, I think so, you need that. You need that. You, yeah, you do. Because sometimes yeah. you have these dreams. I don't know. I think a lot of us, too, don't even dare to dream things like that because it's like, like I don't know. I have like really weird, like not even big dreams, but like these little ones that I, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't even speak them out loud because no, that's not going to happen. And it's like, why yeah. stop yourself? You know, like, why not dream? Yeah, like- yeah, no. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't want to say superstitious, but I'm like, when I hear like have a good piece of good news, I like, I don't yeah. tell, I don't tell yeah. anyone. <laughs> totally. I don't tell anyone until, until like it's out there in the world. Yes. Like, until somebody else says it first, you know. I'm the same way. It must be a 1982 right. thing. <laughs> I'm like, oh my way. god! I'll tell like two people. I'll tell the people that I really trust, you know, who won't tell anybody and yeah. who will celebrate the news. But that's as far as I'll go, you know. But I, I, I love. I just, I'm, I'm really um, stuck with what you were saying about, you know, this sort of, this sort of um, persistence you had because that's what you know we're told over and over again in this in this world of writing and create and just creative world it's like you know um if you do want your work to be publicly received and not everybody does but you know if you do then you know um you persistence is the key thing because as an artist of any kind you're going to be rejected over and over and over again and i think especially in writing um yeah. i mean there's just like all the greats you know have stories about in fact there was my um my friend, um, the poet Naomi Shihab Nye, she posted on her Facebook the other day an article, I think it was on Lit Hub, of like all these really super famous authors that were talking about rejection. And, you know, you see that every single one of these people received loads of rejection. Um, yeah. So I really appreciated you talking about that. And I, and I was curious about, you know, that shift for you. I think you sort of touched on this. But where was that when you went from, you know, just being rejected over and over and over again and feeling kind of like, I don't know, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but feeling like kind of discouraged by that or bummed. And like, yeah. where did that switch from that to like, oh, I'm just going to keep, this is a game now. I'm going to play it and just, you know, having you fun know, with it. I think it would change on the quality of the rejections, you know, the quality uh-huh. of the, you know, sometimes you get a personal rejection. You That's know? the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there was this one guy, I wish I could remember his name. I think his first name was Alex. I don't even know the still around the Monarch Review out of Seattle or Portland, Oregon. I don't uh-huh. remember. I don't remember either. But this guy, you know, sometimes I had a relationship with an editor like this, you know, where I would just keep writing, keep sending uh, either poems. I was writing a lot of poems at the time, either poems or stories to this one editor over and over and just badger an editor over and over, you know. Yeah. And there was this is one guy. This I had just fun badgering this guy over and over with my poems. Eventually, he published one of them. Wow. Well, but... No, no, no. He he ended up publishing one of them, and he even later he published a, a little little kind of autobiographical piece that I wrote too. But in one of those rejections, one time he said something like, 
he told me something like everybody writes stories like this, you know, and he's just something like from reading your bio, it doesn't sound like your background is like everybody else who, who submits stories to me. So, so, so I really thought about that. I really thought about what he said. I'm like, you know, and I knew he was right. This was like 2010 probably, or maybe, yeah, this is 2010 maybe, or 2011, something like that. And, and I really thought about that. I was like, you know, I thought about like my influences at the time were like predominantly, well, we're all over the place, mostly like realist writers. And so I really, you know, I hadn't, I, you know, so I, I guess I really took that, uh, that criticism to, to heart. And I really did think about it. And I really did challenge myself as a writer after that, you know, just on that offhand comment that this one mm. guy did, you know, and, I was like, okay, I'm not going to write these boring ass stories here that take place like, I don't know, whatever the hell I was doing at the time. I, I you know, I, I wrote character, my characters at the time, like worked like in, worked like, like in restaurants, like where I did, you know, but they were mostly like realist kind of stories that were kind of boring. And I look, when I look and I look back on them, you know? Mm. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. So that, yeah. that like one comment really sort of changed things for you and how you wrote. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of things, a lot of things, yeah, a lot of things came into play. You know, that, that's just one thing that happened. A lot of things that happened at the same time that really changed my writing. That, and you know, also like one time I had a roommate and I had a copy of Don Quixote around, like in two thousand nine, mm-hmm. two thousand ten, and then my my roommate he was like he worked with me, uh, he worked with me at a at, at like a restaurant, and he was like a dish a delivery guy. He was a delivery guy, and I was like a dishwasher at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he thought it was really cool that I was writing and stuff. He didn't read at all. He never read. He never read anything at all. But he saw my copy. Of Don- One time he asked me if I read Don Quixote, and I said no. And then he was really disappointed in me. <laughs> he, was just, he was just so disappointed that I never read it, even though he never read anything at oh, all. That's so funny. <laughs> And I and I really and that also I I really took that in, I really took that to heart too and so I ended up I read Don Quixote after that not only that but I read like all these you know all the things that I just hadn't yeah. exposed myself to you know I just started reading like the weirdest shit that I could I could read at the time and I really tried to do weird things with my own writing you know but this was like around the time when I turned twenty nine thirty thirty one yeah. And I all because at the time that time I also like reflected on my life. Like I was about to when I was gonna turn thirty, I was like, okay, I'm about to be thirty. I never went to college. I'm still working in the restaurant industry. I really haven't had much work published. What? Am, but what am I? What, what am I gonna do with the rest of my life? What am I good at? I'm about to be thirty, and I could I could think of nothing at all that I was good at. And the only thing that I could think of that I was even remotely good at or close to good at was maybe writing, you know, maybe being a writer. So I was like, mm. you know, there's nothing else that I can really do with my life, you know, that I'll be, you know, happy or whatever, you know, or that uh, or satisfied or content or whatever. So, so I just kept doing, I, I, so I did it even harder. I did it even uh, more dedicated, a more dedicated level, you know. Wow. I, yeah. You just threw yourself so, into it. Yeah. So that's when I really thought about like a project. I was like, okay, I realized that I had all these scattered short stories and all these scattered poems. 
and all these uh and I, even like finish finished like novellas or whatever and i had this epic long novel that was like 250,000 words that i just abandoned at the time and I, and because you know because i was growing at the time and i was okay with leaving these projects behind you know and i was excited about the kinds of projects that i could write you know I wanted to ask you before I forget, there was um, something that you said at the beginning of this conversation. And then you also said this more or less during um, a residency that really um, struck me because I can also very much relate to this feeling. And I wanted to hear you talk about it, which was, you said that I always feel like an outsider, even within the communities I belong to. Um, Could you talk a little bit about that and like what that meant for you growing up? Well, you know, I have to say that I always really hardcore. I, you know, I always try to fit in, and every every it, when I was young, of course, when you're young, you try to be fit in and be like, I tried, but eventually, like, I realized that I realized that you know, whenever I fit in, I try to fit in. I try whenever I try too hard at something, I fail. Whenever, like, on a social level, on a social level, if I don't try something it goes well for me, you know? So I don't really try on a social level to really like, you know, have a connection or anything. If it just happens, it happens. Uh, So I feel, so it carries over to, I guess, to my work and stuff like that, you know? So looking, but like I said earlier about, you know, the, about, you know, Surveying the scene of like Mexican, not only Mexican American, like Mexican American writers and like border writers at the time, and even now, like even now, I, I look if you look at the panorama of it, like how many you know, how many writers you know are writing like fantastical fiction that are fantastical literary fiction, you know, uh, you know, I, I couldn't think of any, I can't think of any, you know. The, the changing point for me was like around, uh, I don't remember when it was, but when, when the writer on Manuel, Manuel Gonzalez published his collection of stories, I believe it's called like The Pilot's Wife or something, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I When that happened, when I saw that, it was reviewed in the New York Times. When I saw that, it was the first time that I've ever seen that happen. I was like, and I knew that something has shifted then. I was like, oh, wow. this is This is the first time that I ever see somebody who is, you know, from around here, from this area that is writing, that is not realism, that is something different than that, you know? So I saw that as possible, finally, you know? I saw that as like, okay, you know, these this is, these things are possible, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, just like you say, like the your idea for a novel, like 20, how they say that 20 years ago couldn't happen, like, you know, if you look at the the you know how many how many Mexican American women between 1990 and between 1992 and right now, that's 30 years between 1992 and right now, how many Mexican American women have gotten of you know a first book debut novel published by a major press? You right, know, right without having to publish at a small press before. You know, right. I can't, I can't, I can't think of, you know, more than two or three, you know, I really, I just can't, you know, I can't, and I, and not only that, like, I can think of a few, a few male writers from the, where I'm from, from South Texas, 
but I can't think of any women writers, novelists from that area, you know, from this area. And it's a huge shame. I think that that something happened in the last 30 years that because this demographic, this community was not being published, I think that something really happened in the publishing world that mm. has affected it to this very day, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I so I really feel that, you know, I guess Mexican-American literature or border literature yeah. uh, is very uh, new. It's a very new thing. Like in the last, it's just really like, like, like how many big books come from the 20th century can we name, like, you know, that are not from the last 50 years, you know, that is not like Rudolfo Anaya or Sandra Cisneros right. or Agoberto right. Gilb. If we exclude those three authors, how many writers, you know, and, and, and what kind, and what kind of, and not only that, what kind of, lit, you know, literature do they write? What kind right. of aesthetics do they have? You know, and a lot of those aesthetics are predominantly like, derived from the 20th century realist tradition, you know, American realist yep. tradition, yep. you know? Right. So I feel that we really haven't had uh, room to explore what our literature is, you know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I feel in many ways that very, uh, very lucky to be given the opportunity to write these stories that have, little to no like present precedent in mm. our modern literature you know because and i'm glad that i'm you know i'm very very lucky once again and grateful that you know i have an editor and i have a publisher that believes in my work you know that encourages me to be writers you know looking back on those 10 like talking about these things about 10 years ago you know and thinking about my life as a writer now i'm like god i'm like Sometimes I feel like, oh my God, like, like I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be in my little room in 2011, you know, and oh. I have to wake up at five in the morning and go to the coffee shop. Oh yeah. But, you know, so, I, so sometimes, so I feel incredibly grateful for to be, to be, I guess, to be in the position that I am right now. I guess you know, okay. it's hard to, it's hard to say it out loud, yeah. but yeah, you know. Well, you're, I'm just, I don't know. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that um, your work is in the world. It's just so enchanting. And, and it, it, oh, just, I, I remember somebody at residency saying how, you know, normally that they, they, they have a short attention span and they lose their attention pretty easily when, when people are reading or, you know, but that they were totally captured by your, your um, stories. And wow. um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. And I don't take any of that for granted, you know. I try to, you know, I always remember, you know, I forget which musician it is, but saying, you know, it's like it's a cliche thing of like, you know, there's always out somebody out there who's watching you for the first time. So, you know. Right, what, right. Uh, so. Right. And well, also, it just, you know, what you're speaking to is, I think, um, back to this thing that's so important, I think, uh, to me, it's really important. I think it's, 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 you know, the fact that you have just followed the path that was your path and that you haven't tried to be anyone else but yourself is that is the kind of artist that, you know, you, you find your right audience that way, you know, and, and I think you said something about this earlier, but 
you know, with persistence and being true to who you are as an artist, you know, it may take a while, but you know, the, you, it will eventually find the right place. Right. Um, and at least that's something that's been told to me over and over again by some older and much wiser um, writers, you know, like I remember Carolyn Forche said that to me, you know, that uh, um, you just keep making the work that you want to make and that you believe in, and then it will eventually find its right place. So, yeah, you would. Yeah. And I think that you hope so as a, you've hoped those things as a writer, you know, uh, it, that's why it also like at that, at that age and that stage of my life, it also helped me a lot to read interviews and, yeah. and to read things with like writers and, and these artists that I admired, you know, and I was like, you know, you always see, you always, sometimes you take for granted that like somebody is like a legend, like, I don't totally. know, like, who like Marcel Duchamp or something like that, you know, like, but, you know, uh, but, you know, somebody just doesn't become that overnight, you know, it takes like, yeah. it takes like, vision and work and time. And, you know, you don't just become like a legend overnight, you know, or uh, you just don't, you don't become a published, a published writer overnight. No, it, no. It became, it become, becomes like a lifestyle, I guess, you know, it's just, you know, yeah. And also, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, and I know we, we already talked about this a bit, but I was thinking about back to this thing about this pressure to to show your work and have it, uh, you know, recognized by some, you know, stamp of approval from the outside world. And um, and just, you know, I you, you were saying this earlier about how, like, you know, you felt like you were a little bit naive about the publishing world. And I certainly was as well. Like when I started getting into writing, I didn't even think about that. If for some reason, it was, and it wasn't even that long ago, it was maybe like five years ago that I was like, you know, of course I read voraciously and I, but I never even considered the possibility that my words, my work could actually be published somewhere. And, um, and then suddenly I was taking these writing classes and, and um, immersing myself in this in, in craft and all that. And everyone from the teachers to my fellow students was always talking about getting things published. Oh, where are you going to send this to? And, and then it started to be like this thing where it's like I was thinking about that sometimes more than the actual work. And, and yeah. I just recently had this epiphany where I was like, maybe this isn't going <laughs> to sound like that big a deal. But I was like, you know what? I just want to put a huge pause on all this idea of like having to send my work out there because when I really think about it, I'm, I'm creating so much right now, which I feel very like excited and lucky about, uh, uh, you know, being, I think in this program is really um, it's, it's just been really um, um, like this fertile ground for me. It's been really exciting. Um, but there's like, out of everything I'm writing, I feel like maybe one or two of the pieces I feel like are, a hundred percent of like where it's going to be because I've worked on those pieces for years now and it's gone through many revisions and, but everything else, which is the vast majority of everything I've written, it, it's not, it's, it's maybe a 50%, you know, I don't know, but it, it doesn't like, why am I going to force myself to go trying to get that recognized just for the sake of it? You know, I'd, I would yeah. so much rather hold on to all that really work on it. And, and until it does feel like this is, as good as it's going to be, this is as true to who I am as it's going to be, then maybe I will consider submitting it. But I just had this big hope, like, nope, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to stop on that for a little bit, no matter what everyone else is telling me to do, you know? Yeah, you know, I get, yeah, totally, you know, and, 
You know, I think that the advantage for writing on a typewriter is this, that it allows me to, I guess, stop and to see a piece, you know, and it's not on a computer yet. I can't submit it. I'm so far yeah. away. From, I'm so far away from that stage. You know what I mean? So, and uh, I had, you know, when I finish the story and it's finished and it's, I, 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 I have a little like a clip for it and I hang them up in my wall. I, I call I call it like hanging I hang them up to dry, you know. Ah, I'm gonna, I love that. I'm, I'm gonna hang the story up to dry and I just I just let and sometimes like years go by. Like I have stories that I've never transcribed that I just there and yeah. I'm like like one of my stories, for instance, that is gonna be in my in my forthcoming book, Valley-esque, uh, it took me a long time to write that that particular story. It took me like seven or eight years to write. And I, and I wrote like maybe a page every two years or something like that because that's how long it took me to learn something about it, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. So and some, but sometimes even when like when you finish a story, you still don't know what it is. You're still yeah trying to figure it out, you know. Totally. So I like to go to like, and this is perhaps an inadequate term, uh, but I like to go with like boot camp with each story, you know. So. So I after that. I finish the story, I print it out. I mean, I finish, I, after I type it, I'll put it into the computer and I'll print it out and I'll do revisions there and I'll print it out again. And then I'll do revisions on that page and then I'll put in the revisions again and then I'll print that out. And I'll just do that over and over until I feel satisfied with yeah. it. And then I'll just leave the story alone and I'll see what I can do in the future, you know? Absolutely. And it's also like when you give something space to in room to breathe, you know, um, it could be that whether it's a couple of months or a couple of years later, you suddenly have this like big moment where you're like, oh, like, you know, even just one sentence that you that you add to that thing that then suddenly completes it or that makes it feel yeah. like. And to me, that's really exciting. You know, it's like. It is exciting. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, when I have a story, even if when I have a story that, you know, that I have sitting there for a long time. And I'm about to work on it again. Uh, I usually try to put in something that I learned between that time. So that yeah. way I try to justify it. I was like, okay, right. okay, okay. In that time I learned this, and it went into my story. So it helped my story. So yeah. the, story, the story is slowly growing. I don't know what it is. I like, I like this, this organic way to write stories. You know, yeah. I'm less of a, I'm less of a constructor. You know, people, there's people out there that are great at constructing stories, you know, but I'm not a good constructor. I'm a good like, creator of stories, you know, I create, I, I, I do it. And then I try to, and then I try to, you know, I don't know, make it as presentable as possible after that, you know, and just throw it out there, you know? Absolutely. No, that's, that's the, that's a good way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so I, and I think like what you're saying, like about, you know, the, this pressure of submitting stuff, you know, that's also like the pressure of like constructing, you yes, know, yes. and it's not the create, it's not the creative process, no. you know, but, but even, but even though that, you know, submitting and stuff is still part of the process, but I think you got to learn to wear different hats, you know? So when you're okay. a writer, that's one hat and you're like, okay, I got to have a, like two or three days in the future that I set to just submitting. Yes. Yes. Totally. Yeah, I know. It's like you kind of have to separate those out. Like you were saying, I like sort of like yeah. how you give yourself a day to do your taxes, you know, and it's like, 
Yeah. You know, I, a, I, I can't do the both things in one right back. No, back, you back, can't. Back. No. Yeah. It's like you got to be your own agent and yes, you got yes. you to think about that thing, the things that you're not thinking about when you're being creative. It's two different brains. Totally. You know? Totally. You know? so, yeah. Uh, and I think the, yeah. the creative brain is so much more fun. So I'm like, why am I torturing myself with trying to like force myself to? Yeah, to exactly. And, like, I, and I'm not there right now. You know, maybe I will yeah. be later on, but <laughs> hopefully yeah, I will. Yeah, and, and your goal, I think that your goal is always to protect the creative brain. Yes, you know? yes. Oh gosh, I love that. I'm going to put that on like a, a t-shirt. <laughs> that's a good yeah, for, for, And I think that's the that we can forget that, you know, like you, and so it's good to ask yourself, okay, is this, is this good for my creative brain if you're doing it at the moment? Yes, you know? yes. Is that good for my – is this good for my creative brain? I am I am literally – I'm actually going to write that down. <laughs> it's, a good, it's simple, but it's so important, right? But that's literally like – that's how I live my life. And that's that's, and that's why I – you know, I'm not saying – you know, I'm not saying it's always been great, you know. Like, uh, you know, um, you know, like I think, you know, I've – you know, I'm – I don't want to say that, you know, I've had it harder than anyone else, but I think that I've given myself a hard time in life because mm. I haven't uh, cared about anything else other than art and literature, you know, mm. and that's the truth, you know, and that's just, when I was growing up, that's, those are the people that I admired. I wanted to be like all these artists and people that mm. I admired and I knew it wasn't going to be easy. I mean, I, maybe if I felt it was going to be easy, but I learned that it wasn't. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Oh, totally. And I mean, it's it's one of those things that just knocks on your door and you can't ignore it. You know, it's like, this is... Yeah, you, you know. Yeah, I read this interview recently with with the singer Bjork. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. yeah, that was Bjork. And she, she said something similar than that, how she, when she was like a teenager, you know, this is when she, when she knew that when she was young, this is what she wanted to do more than anything in the world. And... Mm. And this, she, she immersed her life in it, you know, and that's... That's a gift. That's also such a gift, don't you think? Because so many people move through the world not having that. Or, you know, I, I think everyone has it. They just haven't discovered it yet, you know? Yeah, um, you know, yeah. I mean, different things. But, you know, it's, it's, I think it's such a gift when we have that yearning and, and, and call to do something. It's... Um, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, and if sometimes you know, like, uh, some you know, if you have resourceful people around you and stuff, it can be easier for you and great. Yeah. You know, if you're, you know, it's maybe like as a writer, you know, you know, writers tend to be more like on their own and stuff, so it's harder to have this community that you can as a yeah. singer and stuff. But right, so it can be lonely. So this life, so this life of being a writer, like if you, especially if you really like. You know, if you're like an avid reader, you're avid, you're immersed in this world, you know, it can be a solitary kind of experience unless, and, you know, you got to surround yourself with like understanding good people, you know? Totally. I mean, that's part of why I started this podcast was because there's nothing I love more than to speak with other creatives, you know, and just talking about this totally. life because it is really lonely when you're making your work. It is, it's. I mean, in a way, it's like you're so self-focused, right? Because <laughs> you're focused on or, yeah. or whatever the thing is that you're making. And that's like consumes you. And, and I don't know. For me, I realized that as much as I love making things, like 
if I only do that, I don't connect with others and talk about yeah. these important things. I, I yeah. start to get kind of sad and, and lonely, you know? So it's, it's yeah. you need both. <laughs> I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's got to be. So yeah, you got to learn to do it. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's a process. I think you're always learning to do that. I'm still yeah. learning to do that myself, you know? I'm still totally. learning to be, I don't know, social, especially now in this time of COVID, you oh, know? Yeah. How you going to keep be? I don't know. How you can keep being social, you know, I'm sure like you can relate as a student starting this program during COVID. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. You know, and me, like I was becoming a published author during COVID, you know, yeah. also it was an interesting, uh, strange experiences, you know. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's So I appreciate, you know, I don't know, I guess these kinds of connections are also with other artists and writers. Yeah. You know? That's why I love those days that we have at the residency. Um, you know, so for the listeners, we just had this uh, for the program that um, that uh, well, you teach at, and then I'm a student at. It's a um, low residency program, so you know we're sort of on our own with uh, an advisor during the year, during six months. But then we come together for ten like really rich days where we're just on well. We're on Zoom right now. We have it on Zoom, but it, but I just it's such it, even though it's like um so busy and it's and I'm actually I'm a I'm definitely an introvert so I don't know about yeah. you but like I yeah. I do I I do drain easily when I, but yeah. but for some reason at these residencies I feel so energized because everyone is we're just talking about art and making art and being human yeah. and an artist and it's just so inspiring and and um yeah and it's great to have a space to do that yeah, too. Yeah. You know, it's uh you know it's a very you know everybody's vulnerable when they're talking about yes. art and stuff yes. like that and the things they love and the things they want to create so i think they are creating exactly, exactly. So it's, it's, it's great and it's, it's beautiful to be given the space and uh yeah and the space and the the warmth that you need for that yes. environment you know yes what kind of uh yeah for those kinds of things to uh to come to fruition, you know. Totally. It's another gift. <laughs> totally. Um, if you don't mind, I have two more big questions for you. No, I don't mind. Okay. <laughs> I'm just enjoying this conversation so much. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I knew, I, I, I was so excited when you, like, I feel like, you know, when we, uh, I mean, I, I read about you before, you know, um, I, we met virtually, but um, once once you started talking, I was like, oh, I, I want to be friends with Fernando. <laughs> So cool. <laughs> um, so okay. So I, one thing I just wanted to touch on because I read this in an, a written interview with you, and you've also talked about this um, before too, but in residency and all that. But you talk about this little flash of a time in your life uh, when you were working at the bookstore. Are you still? You're still working at the bookstore, right? Yeah, I worked, I worked two days a week at Malvern Books. That's so know? cool. Okay, yeah. so that's like my dream. I, I want to work at a bookstore someday. Um, so you work at this bookstore, or you started working at this bookstore, um, like an indie bookstore, and then I was reading that within a matter of weeks that you started working there, you had received this honorable mention from this big award um, from the Alfredo Cisneros del Moral Foundation, um, which was a big deal. Um, and then you were laid off from your job as the barista, and that's when you got hired, I guess, to work at the bookstore. And then you wrote the first draft of the book on your typewriter. Um, and it just seemed like this really, this time in your life where I, I just was so intrigued by this because um, you had these sort of like back to the door metaphor, you know, these doors closing and then these other doors swinging open, like at the same time. 
Um, yeah. So I'd just yeah. love to, could you just briefly talk about that a little bit about that time for you and, and what that, what that was like? Yeah. You know, yeah, it was a really intense time for me. A lot of things happened, you know, uh, I all, I guess it all started, uh, like in 2013, the summer of 2013. Uh, yeah. In the summer of 2013, something big, uh, I got evicted from the East side and a, few, and a few months later, my mother passed away. My mother passed away, and uh, and I was told that this small little uh, press fund out of Chicago was going to put out the first volume of Death to the Bullshit Artists of South Texas, Volume One. Yeah. And uh, so, so my mother passed away in November of 2013. So. In April of 2014, 200 little hardcover bound, hardcover copies of Death to the Bullshit Artists of South Texas, Volume 1, was published out of Chicago. And even though this was like a, it ended up being like a little literary Ponzi scheme, you know, I had a really terrible experience with this press. Uh, And even though only 200 little copies of my book were published uh you know a few of those copies ended up in the right hands you know i got nominated for for an award and then yeah and and it all happened really really fast the aftermath happened really really fast and so in 2014 like i want to say like in late august yeah it was in late august early september where i was told that i won this award my boss at the coffee shop, which is JP's coffee shop, my boss, JP Hogan, at the time told us that he sold the coffee shop to 7-Eleven. Oh, and no. It was going to be a 7-Eleven. I've been working there for five years. Oh. And that, you know, it'll be in two or three. I had two or three weeks in that job. And somebody was leaving the a bookstore had just opened the previous year in 2013, Malvern Books. And I heard... I'd been going there after my shift and my after my shift, at least once or twice a week from the coffee shop, I'd go to the bookstore. So they knew they knew me at the bookstore. So when I heard that they were hiring somebody, I went and I applied and they already knew who I was because I was there all the time. You know, oh, I was there. Yeah. I bought t- I bought money. You know, I used my tip money to buy a book all the time, you know. So uh so all this happened really, really fast. I had like in less than a year, all this, all this happened like in less than a year. So when they hired me at the bookstore and I got laid off at the coffee shop, I was I was only hired at the bookstore to work two days a week, and I had won the prize money. Actually, I didn't win. I I, I won honorable mention, which wasn't the first prize. The first prize. So, but but as an honorable win, mention winner, I did uh, get ten thousand dollars. So to me, that was a a lot a lot of money at the time for me. You know, mm-hmm. I never made I never made more than like eighteen thousand dollars in my adult life. You know. Up until like a few day, years ago, to be honest, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so uh, at the time it was like a miracle. So I was like, "Oh my god!" So uh, I'd never been given t- the time to write. So yeah, I'm 32 years old at that time, and so I'm like, I get, I've never had, you know, the time or the or anything to write. So I'm like, okay, I got this is the time to do it. I'm I'm working two days a week at the bookstore. One day the money's gonna run out and. I'm gonna have some. I'm gonna have to have something to show for it, mm. and I was so terrified, terrified of the idea 
of the money running out and me having nothing to show for it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, so, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I wrote Tears of the Truffle Pig in three months wow. because of that because of that fear, you know? Sometimes you need a little fear to get something yeah. happen, I guess. You know, and I, wow. you know, and to this day, I've never had an experience writing any, anything like I did with that novel. Wow. You know, I wake, I wake up in the middle of the night and I, like, in, in like panicking, like not knowing what I was going to write the next day or whatever. But I know, but knowing that I had to write something. You know? Right, right, yeah. And, that's, I guess every once in a while, it's good to have that sort of like fire lit, you know. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. And usually I would never know what I was going to do until the moment I sat down and wrote the first word. And then it just came. That's inspiring to hear as well, because I think sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to be like, or, you know, we have this nervousness that like, oh, we're, you know, we don't have any ideas forming or, or too many ideas. And we, you know, sometimes you just need to sit down and just write and see what comes. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like, you have people people have this idea of, like, screwing it up. Like, yeah. oh, I don't want to do it because I don't want to screw it up. Yep. But my idea is, like, you know, it's already screwed up. It doesn't exist. <laughs> totally. You know, how much more screwed up can it be? It doesn't exist, you right, know? Right, right. Exactly. So, you know, so even if you write it, anything down, that's still something. It's better than nothing. Absolutely. And then the fun, I think for, for me, the fun part is like, you know, once you have something down, then you can start to, to move it and mold it and, 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 and refine it. And, and that's a lot of times where the magic happens. Definitely. Yeah. That's so cool. And then I also wanted to ask you about just, you touched on this before, but you, you, you um, were born in Mexico and then you moved to Texas, like at a very young age, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then if I remember correctly, you spoke Spanish at home and then, is that right? You spoke Spanish at home when you were growing up? Yeah, I came from a predominantly like, yeah, like a Spanish-speaking household. Yeah, my parents didn't really speak English in the house or really, or really just anywhere, you know. You know, oh. we, I was five years old. My family moved to Alton, Texas. We moved from yeah, Reynosa, Tamaulipas and... Uh, yeah, you know how my dad was in his late thirties. My mother was uh, in her early thirties. You know, and you and, spoke only Spanish at that point when you moved, right? I was yeah, thinking, we spoke yeah. only Spanish. You know, even even later, even when we my, me and my sisters grew up and went to school, we weren't really allowed to speak English in the house. My yeah. mom would get really my mom would get really upset if we were speaking English in the house. Ah, you know? that's, that's good though. Just, yeah. yeah, just because she always she, she she suspected that we were just saying things so. That's so she wouldn't understand. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? yeah. like, <laughs> you know, just like when you're kids and you're yes. talking and you don't want your mom to know, you know. So totally. So she'd, so she'd have a lockdown on that, you know. Did you? So it's funny because when I was younger, I moved to the states when I was pretty young. My my mom would um when we were in stores and stuff like that, and she wanted to say something about somebody. <laughs> it was yeah. terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah, so you yeah. Just yeah. Speak to me in Spanish, and now I think about it, I'm like, a lot of people speak Spanish, so I don't know if that really worked well. <laughs> 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 That's hilarious. I don't know, but um, but I I was so intrigued by that because I and you were saying you know you you feel like an outsider um even in places where you belong and I, I mean I think about this all the time and, and I was mentioning to you that that um essay I'm working on about my sort of stemming from my name and feeling very you know how uh, standing in the U S how my name makes me feel one way standing in Spain is different and um and I was just sort of thinking about how you know. Also, like growing up, because this writing this whole thing made me think about this a lot about how growing up in at home, whether that was I, my parents were divorced, and with my mother who is Spanish and French, 
and um and uh you know we celebrate all this all the european and spanish holidays and with yeah. my dad and my dad married an argentine woman and we only spoke in spanish with her so you know at home i wanted to belong in that way like i wanted to belong um you know in a way and that i did, when then when i was out in school with my American friends, I wanted to belong there. And anyways, I'm just telling you to sort of um, open that up to talk to you about it, because it, I'm curious if that was somewhat of the experience you had, because it sounds like, you know, with you speaking Spanish at home and then English outside of the home, like, how, yeah, how, how was that experience for you? You know, well, I, you know, I think that, you know, geographically speaking, like where I was raised, you know, in South Texas is mostly like 95% like Mexican American, you know, so where we live, like, you know, we live like in a community, not, not really like, we live like in like, kind of like in the, in, like in, like in an outskirts kind of environment. Like we, I grew up like in a, in a trailer, like in a mobile home. And there were a lot of mobile homes where I grew up, like kind of rurally, you know, so a lot of like, you know it's possible to just survive and just speak spanish like my parents would go to the store and just speak oh spanish. that's amazing that's you so great I mean? yes, so, yes yes so it's different so it's different than somebody who would be like me like and move to like new york or something totally, you know, totally. Or philadelphia or like something like that you know because really we just moved like you know we moved like really like 45 minutes like north from Reynosa really which is just but it ends up but it's a whole like culture class of course you know it's still like the United States completely different you know you know we different education system you know uh, so uh you know but these differences you know really didn't come about until I became an adult really and I really left South Texas and I really saw that you know, I really grew up with different dynamics than other people, you know, I, I didn't really meet or know anybody who was white until I was like 19 or 20 years old, you know, so, uh, so, uh, so I, so, so I grew up carrying like a, like my experiences, like, I guess, different from like others in that sense, you know, uh, and who grew up with these, you know, intense, like, northern american dynamics that i that i just didn't i wasn't raised around you know so so i so constantly as an adult i've always had to teach myself things like i never like like i always like like i remember like the first time i read the writer james baldwin was like in an anthology you know and and i thought that he would and i thought that he was a white man really you know and I had no idea that he was black, you know. I really just had no idea, because 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 like I said, I was a nigger, like I'm ignorant. I'm just I'm this ignorant small town kid, and you know I'm just ignorant to like dynamics and stuff like that. And like I associate like the name like Baldwin with like Alec Baldwin or something like that, you know. So uh, so I think it was like you know, and I remember even like then like. Like uh, I read, it was a story. It was the story of Sonny's Blues, you know, a great story, an amazing story, yeah. And I remember, like, thinking afterwards, like, I, this is a great story, but I don't know, if, I don't know if a white man should be writing a story oh. like this. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, 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 you know, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, I, I, it took me a long time to, to learn to observe that my experience was different than others, you sure, know. So, sure. so even if I grew up like. So even like when I meet like other like Mexican American writers who are 
from Los Angeles, you know, that that experience is totally different than from my experience, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. And I hadn't thought about that, you know, that because, of course, when you think, oh, you moved to the States when you were five, you just think, oh, yeah, he had to like acclimate at that age. But but what you're saying makes so much sense. And that's that's a whole other thing, acclimating as an adult, you know, and and, and, um, and having yeah. to learn and, and understand. Yeah, I think maybe this is why it's difficult for a lot of people from where I grew up, from the Rio Grande Valley, from the border to leave the border because you realize that the dynamics that exist in the border are very different from the rest of the world and for the rest of America, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so to me, that was a big like revelation when I was like in my, when I was like 19, 20, 21 years old, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's so, yeah. And then it's so, it's so cool that you were able to still speak Spanish as, uh, you know, being younger and not, you know, and, and living in the States, like having that. When I first moved to the States from, well, we were in Vermont for, a year first and my dad says that he never felt more of a culture shock than when we moved from Barcelona, Spain to Brattleboro, Vermont. And I remember like when I was a little girl there, like everyone was like my name, like, oh that's so cute, like Monse, you know, and and now as an adult, like my when I am in Spain and I tell my friends that people call me Monsi here, they're like, ah, oh, que mono, you know. <laughs> so it's like it's just funny. But um but, uh, but yeah, I, that's just, I was going to say that, like, you know, I, I, um, I just had to, this, this really quick sort of shock of going from speaking in Spanish and having these sets of ways of doing things and being and to then to- a totally different way. And that's, it's weird, you know, it's weird as a kid to have that. And it's weird as an adult too. It's weird. Yeah. Age you are at. Yeah, it's weird at any age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I just had um, one more question for you, which is one I ask everybody, and that is, um, this is kind of totally left field from what we're talking about, but I, I love this question, which is, what is an act of kindness that you've received in your life that felt like transformative in some way or had a really big impact on your life? Uh, you know, I always, you know, I'm remembering, uh, you know, the great uh, uh, playwright and activist and veteran greg barrios who is a this legend from san antonio uh who passed away uh last year and uh i met greg barrios at the 20 in the 2014 san antonio book festival in april and uh I had been told that Greg Barrios was aware of him. This is around the time when the first volume of Death to the Bullshit Artists of South Texas came out. And I was told that Greg Barrios was looking for me by a mutual acquaintance. And I never met Greg Barrios in my life. He's this older gentleman. He was probably in the seven, he's like in the late, late 70s at the time. So uh, I go up the escalator and while the festival is going on and I see this man in a fancy three-piece suit and it's Greg Barrios and he signals he calls me over like he already knows me and I walk over to Greg Barrios and he tells me the words that will change my life forever he tells me I'm going to nominate you for an award Mm. and uh, it was because Greg Barrios Greg Barrios had read a short story of mine that he really liked 
Uh, and he's the one, he nominated me for the Alfredo Cisnero de Moral Award. And this man, you know, this man just nominated me just blindly. He's reading a story of mine, you know. Mm. And uh, very, very generous of him. And it changed my life forever, obviously. I haven't been the same since. And it just took this person's had the power to nominate somebody. And he did it. And I ended up winning. Or I ended up getting a so. You know, sometimes you just you have the power to do something like that. Yeah. You know, changes a whole person's life and changed my life forever. You know, so forever grateful for Greg Barrios. Got chills. <laughs> that's so forever. beautiful, and oh, thank that's you. great. That's so great. Thank you so very much for this conversation. And um, thank you, Montserrat. I really appreciated all your insight and, and observations. Oh, thank you. And for, for you know, it is such a gift to hear my name said properly you have no idea so thank you for saying it perfectly oh, sorry. I, 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 I don't even think about it i just say it i know like, i know yeah i know for you it's natural but it's it's so yeah. rare you know i'm yeah, about to go to up, spain though so i'm about to be in spain for three months and i'll i'll get that yeah. <laughs> I, th I think my, growing up my mother had a friend in reynosa named Montserrat. oh and really so so this is so this a name i grew up hearing a lot you know oh that's so cool it's a, great, it's a great name. Thank you. Know. you. It's it's special to me because it's Catalan, and you know, and that's 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 where I spent my early childhood, and uh, and uh, yeah, and you know, my yeah. I wrote I wrote a, I'm just telling you this because it's my essay that I was writing, and I made it's make me think about it. Is that uh, my great grandmother when she was uh, she gave birth to my um my uh, grandmother and and her twin and my grandmother's twin sister prematurely, and then she went to oh. the the mountain of Montserrat to pray oh, and. And then, you know, soon after her, because there were, you know, it was very dangerous because they were born yeah. six months yeah. early and she went to Montserrat and prayed and then oh, wow. they're fine. And so she gave them Montserrat as the middle name and then it went passed down to my mom and then it came to me. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You got to put that, that detail in there. I somewhere. did. I did. Yeah, that's great. I, did, I did. I know. Yeah. I'm not to share this with you because you'll, you'll appreciate the. the yeah. Yeah. I would, love, <laughs> I would love it if you did. All right. I will. Well, then thank you very much. And I'm so happy that, you know, we're, we're in the same program in, in different capacities, but in there. So, we, you know, I'll get to see a lot of you and, and, you know, hopefully we'll meet in person sometime. Soon. Yeah, definitely, Montserrat. Yeah, reach out, uh, reach out if you need anything. Thank you so much for having me uh, in your podcast. Absolutely. Have a, Have a great night and day. <laughs> and thank you so much. Ciao. Musings of the Artist is audio produced by Aaron Mooring and theme music is by Madison Ward. Music